Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, where we seek to equip the church to understand and live out its faith. I'm your host, Stephen Dew. I'm the preaching pastor at South Caraway Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We want to thank you for joining us today, and let's get right to today's episode. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Doctrine Matters podcast. And today we're going to be talking about churches opening back up during this pandemic. Now, we have already seen several churches across the nation not close down for one reason or another because they remained meeting and gathering and and doing their normal thing. But a lot of churches took uh, a couple of weeks off and, and up to eight weeks potentially. So, we want to talk about those churches going back to gather as the church physically, not just online, but physically as the church. So as the church goes back, I want you to be aware, and I want to talk through some things that I've seen happen already, and things that are going to be coming down the pipeline uh, when it comes to Christianity, because I do believe that Christianity has been and is currently under attack. Now, some of you will disagree with me on that statement, and that's okay. It is okay for brothers and sisters in Christ to disagree, and we can disagree lovingly. But here's why I think it is persecution, is because there are people, there are government entities trying to shut down the church and keep the church shut down uh, for whatever reason, mainly because this is a godless nation, it feels like these days, And the government entities are trying their best to keep the church from gathering as the church. And the media outlets, many of them are right in step with those government entities trying to keep the church doors closed. And they are putting them out on their media platforms and making them uh, kind of the main thing. Just last week, May 17th, our church opened for the first time. In about eight weeks, uh, we were tired of doing the online thing. We were ready to get back together, so we got back together, and we gathered. And not four hours after our sermon, our, our time ended together, I was sitting in front of my computer screen, and I saw some things on social media come across that CNN had put out. So I went to CNN.com, and what did I see? The very first thing, as big as it could be, as big as they could make it, was a picture of virus, the virus under a microscope is what I would assume. That's the best way I can describe it. It looked like they were looking at it under a microscope. But the heading said 180 people at a church were exposed to COVID-19. And I think this was a church somewhere in Georgia. But that was the headline. That is what was the first thing you were to see when you put CNN.com in your web browser and hit enter. That's what showed up. So I see that we are potentially, and and let me not even say potentially, I believe that the church is under attack. Now, this is where we may disagree. This is where a point of contention might arise. I'm not saying the church is under persecution like the early church was under persecution, and some of our brothers and sisters in China and other parts of the world are under persecution right now. I believe that you can have different levels of persecution. I believe sometimes persecution comes in forms of helpfulness, like the government is trying to do right now here in America as we're saving lives by not gathering in, in together as the church. Now, early on, I could try to, I could sort of get behind that, but 
since then, some things that have happened, some things that I've seen, some numbers that didn't add up, some numbers that uh, were projected, were nowhere close to the projected numbers that this thing was supposed to bring forth. It turned in quickly to a lot of tyrannical governors and mayors all across our nation uh, just turning into dictators rather than elected officials that work for the people. So part of that, the church has come under, and, and, and really people are even saying now, I know the mayor in Chicago says, if you go to church, you will go to jail. So th- there's people like this all across our nation that are saying these things. So the persecution isn't on a level of beheadings, beatings, stonings, dragging out of church, burning down churches like has happened in China. However, if you've been watching the news, you know that a church in Holly Springs, Mississippi, has sued the city for not being able to gather uh, physically. They believe that their First Amendment right was being infringed on, so they sued the city. They went back to gathering, and someone burned their building down and wrote in the parking lot, You'll be staying home now, you hypocrite. And they spelled hypocrite wrong. It was a terrible spelling. They used a K in there. But nonetheless, we see as a result of the church gathering, there was persecution by their building being burned down. We see that people are being threatened. If you go to church, you could go to jail. Uh, We see governors deeming houses of worship or churches being non-essential. And let me just say, I believe that gathering as the church is the most essential thing anyone can do. Now, I realize that we have many different people with different beliefs in our country, and that's okay. But hear me out. Why do Muslims have more freedom in America when it comes to their religion than Christians do? Now, I don't understand how we can, as a country, not everyone, I'm not lumping everybody as a country in here, but how can certain officials and certain government entities, how can these people cater to other religions, but Christianity, the one that preaches and teaches the God of the Bible, is being handcuffed. They're they're being told not to meet, that they can't meet, that they're going to be in trouble if they do meet. And folks, I believe this is a form of persecution. Again, I, I would like to say that there, I believe there are different forms of persecution. There's different levels of persecution. Yes, nobody's getting their heads chopped off right now, but this is the beginning of what could turn into that because I believe a true and large and uh, violent persecution will be on American soil one day. Now, I don't say those things to scare you as a believer. As a believer, the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that you have not been given a spirit of fear. So just to know that persecution is coming in a violent form one of these days, it may not be in our lifetime, may not be in our kids' lifetime, but it very well may be. Now, I don't want you to be scared or afraid of that. I don't want you to have fear. I want you to have faith in God. I want you to not cower in fear. I don't want you to hide in your homes. I want you to be wise. I want you to use discernment. But I don't want you to be so fearful that it keeps you from doing what God has called you to do. Now, uh, I believe that if we use the uh, old adage of loving your neighbor as been thrown out a lot, like you stay home, save lives, stay home, save lives, stay home, save lives, you are loving your neighbor. Well, uh, we can argue that, we can talk about that, we can debate that, but here's the thing that we have to understand, is that our God 
The God of the Bible from a Christian worldview has a, been a God from eternity past. He has been God from eternity past. He has been self-existent. There is nothing that could add to his glory. There is nothing that he needed in this world. And he is an all-knowing God. Our church is going through the attributes of God or the character of God. And one of the things that we see is that he has been God from eternity past, for, from ancient times. And he knows everything. He created everything. So the God of the Bible, of this this Christian worldview that we should have, we should understand and know that God knows the number of hairs on our head, as the Bible teaches. He knows when a sparrow falls from the air. So he knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything in between. So he even knows when you and when me, when we will die. He knows how we will die, what will, ha- what will be the circumstances surrounding our death. He knows the date not only the date, he knows the time down to the second that we will leave this earth. So here's the question. Can we change God's mind? And I would say absolutely not, because God is an all-knowing God. He is God, and he's decreed what will happen before the foundations of the world. So we have a death day, and there's nothing we can do to change that death day. Now, we can be wise. We can use discernment. We can uh, stay away from older people. But listen, you're going to die whether you die of COVID-19 or if you die in a car wreck. God has it planned out. It's mapped out and it's coming. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man, unto man to die once. And after this, judgment. So we're all going to die. So we can't be cowering in fear. I, I, there are many, many deaths every year from car wrecks. And that's not stopping people from getting behind the wheel. There are many people that are receiving warnings every day on their cigarette packages when they open those things up may cause cancer it could cause death but many people are still opening those cigarette packages the same goes for food fried foods it's been linked and a lot of different foods have been linked to heart disease to cancer to different things like that but people are still frying their chicken they're still eating their chicken we have so many things that are saying hey You need to be careful. You need to watch out. You need to understand that what you're doing can kill you. But many people are still getting behind the wheel, smoking their cigarettes, and eating their fried chicken. So why are we using church as this platform to say, well, we have a warning now from the government. We have been told that we could die if we gather in groups of 10 or more. We've been told that we could go to jail if we gather as the church. Uh, So all of a sudden, all of us professing believers, not all, some of us professing believers are now staying home because the government said so. And they're using Romans 13 as an avenue to say, well, we're respecting and, and doing what our government tells us to. So why aren't people not driving anymore? Why are people not smoking anymore? These are more deadly warnings that they receive every day. I mean, think about it. You're inhaling smoke. You are putting it in your lungs. And this is not good for your body. Continually eating fried foods and other foods that are bad for your body is not a wise thing to do, yet people do it. So why are these people still doing these things? Now, We have to be very clear 
as believers and, and, and as Protestants that we cannot continue to let the government teach us and tell us how to live our lives. As believers, we have the Bible that teaches us how to live, how to put off sin and, and trust and follow Christ. We have a Bible that teach us, teaches us not to forsake the gathering of the saints. We should be people that are not willing to let the government run our lives, but be people that are willing to sacrifice our life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to do what God says, not what man says. And just listen to this statistic. 1.25 million people are killed in car crashes each day. So why is the government not telling us to stop driving our cars? That is an average of over 3,200 deaths a day in the United States. But yet the government's going to tell you to stop going to church? We can't listen to man when it comes to our life in Christ. We have to obey the word of God. Now, we can talk about it. We can talk about Romans 13 if you'd like. Uh, we could talk about how far of a reach uh, the government has to do before we begin to settle into the Bible and not the government. Uh, we can talk about many different things like that. But here's the deal. If you're watching closely, you're going to see this is the very beginning of a lot of churches being shut down as a result of pastors and elders and church leaders obeying Romans 13 when I don't believe that the government has the authority to close down any churches. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into political things here as far as Bill of Rights and all those things, but there is uh, the First Amendment that says that churches can gather peacefully. Churches have the right to assemble. So uh, our governor in our state of Arkansas has made that clear that there's separation of church and state, that they can't mandate anything when it comes to houses of worship. They can only produce guidelines for houses of worship. So however you want to take those guidelines, if you want to implement all of them, some of them or none of them, you can do so. If they say only have a third of your building full on Sunday, those are still guidelines. And as people protected by the First Amendment, or supposedly protected by the First Amendment, we can continue to have church just as we normally would. So we can still do so using wisdom and discernment, and we can separate pews, separate chairs, we can have hand sanitizer, we can have masks and gloves available, we can clean everything, we can have no children's services, no Sunday school services, we can all meet in one big facility, we can do those things. We can do however we need to do for each particular church. But here's what I want to warn you, that even as you go back to gather, keep in mind the government is watching they're probably taking notes. They're probably seeing how many people are walking in your church. I wouldn't be surprised if the government started sending people out. Again, the mayor of Chicago said, we're going to send out detectives or informants or whatever she called them, and they're going to be watching for people. They're going to be looking to see who's disobeying the social distancing rules. And this is absurd. So don't be surprised when you have visitors that come to your church, and they're really not visitors for the sake of visiting your church for no other reason than to take notes and report back to some sort of entity. 
Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I, I would not be surprised because we have to see this unfolding right in front of our eyes. Now, just yesterday, President Trump came on and he uh, said, lift all of the shutdowns with churches. They are essential and you have to let churches open up or I'm coming after you. Now, uh, there's been a lot of talk since then. There's been a lot of thankfulness for President Trump saying that. And I will be the first to tell you that I am not the most political person. Like when it comes to government stuff and, and things like that, I am I'm sort of an idiot when it comes to those things, to be honest with you. I, I'm kind of lost. I didn't do well taking uh, my government class that I had to take in college. And uh, I didn't do well with politics and things like that. So I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed when it comes to this. But I have seen some rumblings from even believers. And uh, as we talk about the Constitution, as we talk about the Bill of Rights, there is apparently... Um, something in there that says the president cannot control what states do. So, although he said this, uh, some governors may choose to obey it, some may not, and push back. I wouldn't be surprised if you have governors push back because they look at the Constitution and the amendment and they find those things and and they say that, that you cannot tell us what to do. But if that's the case, if that is the case, check this out. If governors say you have no right to tell each state what they can and can't do, then that's going to open up the door wide open for churches to say, hey, look, what you can and can't do when it comes to us gathering as a church, we have that right as well. So if governors want to push back on President Trump saying you don't have the right according to the Constitution, then churches are going to then be able to push back on the governors and say, hey, the same thing you just did, we're going to do to you now because you have no right according to the Constitution. So this thing is going to play out how it's going to play out. And listen, it could get ugly. It could get nasty at times. It could go smoothly. Who knows? That's yet to be seen. But one thing that I do know is we talk about doctrine and theology. I do know that God is going to get the glory however this thing works out, however it shapes up. And not man, not a governor, not you, not me. We're not going to get the glory from this. But God is going to get the glory from it, no matter what happens. Because we're dealing with sinful, fallen men and women. That's the whole driving force behind any of the evil that we see is because we are all sinful. We are all fallen. And those that happen to be saved by grace through faith understand that we are to live a life glorifying God and live a life pursuing Christ and uh, the, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the life of a believer. So we strive for eternity. We strive to live a, a life daily that's in obedience to the Word of God. But those that are unregenerate, those that are not saved, and we see that in many different realms of uh, the workforce. We see that in many different realms of politics. We see that there are many people that are not Christians. So they are going to live in this fallen world. And we're going to see that play out. We're going to see that sin play out in policies, in the things that they choose to say and do. I believe if you look across some of these states in our country, you're going to see fallen, unregenerate men and women leading from an evil perspective, leading from an unbiblical worldview, which is going to absolutely clash with our biblical worldview as believers. But no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how this plays out, no matter what happens, God will get his glory. And we know this from Romans 8, chapter 20, 
Romans chapter 8, verses 28, starting there, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. But we see it right here. For the believer, this thing is going to work out two ways. One, for God's glory. Two, for our good. Now, our good, it says in here, that we may be conformed to the image of his son. That's verse 29. That's why we go through troubling times. That's why we have trials. That's why we have tribulations. That's why we suffer. Because God, even in the bad things in life, is making those believers more like Christ. And we have to understand that from this biblical point of view, not from a government or worldly point of view. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but your government will lie to you. Now, we receive things from the government that we all appreciate, things that we all uh, enjoy, but also we are receiving at this time mandates that are not biblical, that I don't believe are uh, really passing the bar when it comes to the Constitution, but either way, that's another time. But the overall theme of today is I want you to be careful about what's coming down the pipeline. It's clear that the church is at war with the state. Well, let me rephrase that, because the church shouldn't be at war with the state. The church should be reaching the state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The state is seemingly at war with the church in many places, not in every place. Many of you may have one of those governors that are doing things right, doing things well, and that's great. But there are many places where it appears that the state is at war with the church. So we need to be prepared. We need to keep our eyes open. We need to keep our focus. And even if it includes persecution to the point of going to prison for gathering as the saints, if it includes beatings, if it includes losing our life in the future for the sake of gathering as the body of Christ. And I fear that what may have happened with the virtual church, it would be easy for many churches that experience persecution to go back to virtual church and say, because we're being persecuted, we are going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to meet online again. We want to do that from now on. And to me, that is going to be the easiest thing for many churches. But if we want to be godly believers, if we want to really be who Christ has called us to be, then we will gather, we will proclaim the gospel, we will live obedient lives from a biblical worldview, regardless of persecution. If it comes in the form of going to prison for meeting uh, after the government has told us not to, then that's what just has to happen. So what we need to look at is the Bible. Look to the Bible. What are some practical ways that we can overcome this. And we may never overcome it on this side of eternity. Uh, we may be entering into a time of persecution that may last until Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, what can we do? We can obviously, I've already mentioned it, we need to search the scriptures. We need to read the Bible. We need to go there. We need to see what God says in his word to his people so that we can live a godly life, regardless of what the world throws at us. So we need to uh, also be praying. We need to be praying to the Lord that 
uh, he would just be with us and care for us and we would be obedient to him and we would be able to persevere through the day that may be coming that is upon us. I feel like that's at least starting. Uh, we just need to be in prayer together. We need to put off differences as far as, uh, these metrics that we are in a, a race with other churches. We need to stop comparing attendance and start running the race together. We need to lock arms with local churches that have, uh, primarily the same beliefs as we do when it comes to primary doctrines of Scripture. We need to have uh, churches linking arms and praying together and working together and striving together instead of being at war and at odds with one another and at, at, in a race with one another to have the biggest and best church. We need to be in prayer uh, with our own churches, with other churches. We need to search the Scriptures. We need to fast. We need to lament we need to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be firm in the foundation that of his word. We need to boldly proclaim the word of God. I'm reminded of uh, the disciples early on in the book of Acts. Uh, many times they were beaten, thrown in prison, and told to stop talking about the gospel here. And they said, we, we just can't do that. We, we can't stop talking about the gospel. So I want to encourage you, to all that are listening, to stand firm in this time. Let's not cower down in a spirit of fear. Let's rise up and proclaim the faith that we have in Christ. Let's carry out that faith that we have in Christ. And let's be the church, not the virtual church, but the visual, visible church. We need to be the church that God has called us to be until he calls us to eternity. Until then, keep reading your Bibles, praying, keep your ears open, be attentive, be alert to the things that are going on around you. And let's just pray that this would not be the start of a physical persecution, but this would be something that will be over with at some point or another. But if not, let's continue to trust God. Let's continue to love one another, proclaim the gospel, be faithful, and we persevere by the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes back or we go home. Until next time, everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great day. God bless.